If you've got a Bible, if you want to turn with me to Romans chapter 5, we are going to be uh, wrapping up Romans chapter 5 together this morning, looking at verses 12 through 21. This does talk about God, so... Romans 5, verses 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you get all that? Uh, this is a uh, this is a pretty. Uh, it seems to be um, pretty well agreed upon that this is a hard passage uh, to understand. It's a, it's a pretty typical Pauline passage, uh, but even more than that, it kind of seems like maybe at this point in writing Romans, Paul's kind of losing his mind. Uh, that he's kind of gotten sucked down into his own argument and all the different stuff he's been trying to talk about. And so you read these 10 verses, and you get to the end of it, and you're just like, okay, I think I get it, but not really. Um, Paul hasn't lost his mind. Let's just, you know, let's start there. Um, uh, Actually, what Paul's trying to do is really explain uh, this complex truth of salvation, of God's salvation, and and, and what exactly it does, and, and what's been done, and it's all this big stuff that Paul's really talking about. And so he kind of gets worked up, he gets wrapped up in it, and, uh, and trying to explain things that are hard for us to understand, to grapple with in our mind. Anytime you try to explain a big idea, right, you're probably going to sound a bit crazy. Uh, that, that's what's going on here. But even more than that is that uh, Paul writes like I talk. He writes fast, and a lot of times it doesn't seem on first listen that he makes a whole lot of sense. That you have to go back and you have to kind of reread and re-listen and you're like, oh, okay, I think I get it. Paul gets worked up, right? 
Paul, Paul will be talking about something and then a, a thought comes across his mind. He's like, oh, I don't want you to misunderstand that. And so he goes off in another direction and you're sitting there reading. You're like, wait a second though. I thought we were talking about this other thing. Okay, I get it. I think I know what you're talking about, but like, are we going to pick up that thought again? And it's like listening to one of my sermons. And so my voice to text app on my phone has a really hard time keeping up with me. And we can feel that way a lot of times when we're reading Paul because he, ex- he does that exact thing. Same thing here. In verse 12, he starts with this thought. If we go back there and we look at it, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. He starts with this thought. He's setting up this connection of sin and death. That the reason why death is in our world, and it's so prevalent, and it's a problem that we all have to deal with, is sin. But then as soon as he mentions this idea that all have sinned, Paul realizes that there's going to be an objection. And understanding that there's going to be an objection to that, he veers off onto a rabbit trail that's going to take us until verse 18 to come back to his original thought. And so it's a little hard while you're reading it because it kind of just seems like, man, I I, kind of get the connection, but I'm not really sure exactly what all we're talking about here. But obviously what, what it seems to suggest is that this was a pretty big discussion in Paul's world in those days. That can we truly say all have sinned? Right? It's pretty well known that in Romans, Paul, we've already looked at, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet Paul knows, especially writing to a group of Jewish believers, that there was a discussion going on in Jewish circles about what happened before the law of Moses. Did people actually sin? Because God's law wasn't given. So Paul, knowing that that's a discussion, knowing that's going to be an objection to the argument he's making, veers off into this other place and takes us down this rabbit trail of verses 13 and 14 where he he says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one to come. We're going to spell all this out, hopefully make sense of it, about what Paul's talking about. What we need to know is the key thing to start with here is there in verse 14, he says, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. You may question whether or not before the law came that you can say that people sinned and everything like that. Paul says it doesn't really matter because the effects of sin were there. Death was present from Adam to Moses. And so we see that sin has already had its effect on humanity, on the world. Because between the time that Adam transgressed against what God had told him and Eve to do, and the law was given to Moses, people were dying. The world was in trouble. Paul's point is that it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't even matter what you believe in, you can't run from death, because that's the way the world works. The two things in life that are inevitable, death and taxes, right? It's tax season. 
hopefully that's all it is. See, this isn't an issue of what you believe in, of what you give a mental assent to, what you feel like is the way the world is supposed to be set up. Oftentimes when we talk about sin in our world, people will say, well, it's okay. I may not even say it's okay, but they'll say, well, you believe that that's a sin. You believe that, but that's not what I believe. Paul says it doesn't matter what you believe because you're going to die. Death is a problem that we all have and we all have to face, and it's because of sin. And so the question isn't, what do you believe sin is? The question is, what are you going to do about death? Because you can't run from it. That's the way the world works. You and I were not created to die. That's what we're told. Whether or not you believe that, I think we all know how unnatural death feels in our life. And so we have different ways of coping with it. We have different ideas of even what it means to die. And that's one thing we're going to get to. But the first thing that we want to understand then is if Paul is saying you can't run from death because that's the way the world works. Well, why does the world work that way? And Paul says, because Adam sinned, and that's how death got in. Adam and Eve were given a very specific instruction. Adam and Eve were told to trust God, to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to to put their faith in him and trust him for what they needed, to trust him to give them direction, to trust that his ways were best. And Satan comes along and he says, did God really say that? Maybe it sounds to me like God's just kind of jealous. God doesn't want you to have what he has. You're not going to die. You're going to be like him, and that's what he's afraid of. And so they knowingly went against the commandments of God. And so because of that, death enters into the world. And what's more is, Paul says, the reason that now death is a problem that we all can't run from is that we are all from Adam. We are all grouped in with Adam. And there's a big discussion about what this actually means, what it means that Adam sinned, and what part we play in that. Is it kind of like, you know, being a part of the same family, and I don't really like what they did, but they kind of screwed this thing up, and so I now I have to deal with the effects? Or did we have a part to play in that? Or we have, have, is it the fact that we would have all done the same thing if we were in Adam's place? This is like a huge, nerdy theological discussion that people love to have. And I would love to have that discussion with you guys, but it, what doesn't, it doesn't really matter for what we want to talk about, what we under, want to understand this morning because all that Paul's saying is however it works you need to understand that the reason we all have to deal with death is we are connected to Adam in this way and Adam screwed up and even if you don't know the law even if you don't know the commandments of God you're going to have to deal with the effects of sin in your life you're going to have to deal with death I know what you're thinking. Well, that doesn't seem fair, does it? It doesn't seem fair that even if we don't know God's law, we're still held accountable. It doesn't seem fair where where Paul says that everyone has sinned, even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam there in verse 14. 
What he's saying is, is everybody has sinned. Everybody has gone against God, even if they didn't know or have a direct commandment from God like Adam did. And it's like, well, wait a second. That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem right that God didn't tell all these people the same way in, in the same emphatic tone directly to them like he did Adam. And yet we all kind of get held responsible in the same way. Put aside for a second that back in Romans chapter 1, Paul says that everybody has had the opportunity to know God. God has made himself available to everyone, and people have chosen either to follow him or to not follow him. We'll put that aside for a minute and act like that's not a real thing. He addresses this very issue because he knows that that's going, this is going to be a hard truth for us to grasp and understand and hang on to and actually believe in. He says... There in verse 13, that sin is not counted where there is no law. He says, look, where there isn't a law, sin isn't held against you the way it is when you know what the right thing to do is. When you know what the right thing to do is and you choose not to do that, that is held against you in a different way. But here's the reality. Whether you know the law or not, you still have to deal with the effects of going against the law. It's kind of like when uh, my kids fall because they're climbing on something and whether or not I've told them not to climb on that thing. If there's one of us uh, as a parent that, you know, borders on the edge of like being a helicopter parent, it's definitely me and not my wife. And I think that's because she's with them all day long and she's like, man, hopefully I'll knock some sense into them when they fall. But when my kids fall because they've been climbing on something, you know, say at the park or whatever. Like, I'm the parent at the park that's like always sitting there. I'm like, oh, let me help you up. Oh, no. And Hannah's like, what are you doing? Just let them go. Like, when my kids fall, like, I run over and I grab them and I pick them up and I'm like, is anything broken? Is it what's wrong? Tell me where it hurts. Like, please tell me you didn't lose any teeth. Show me all your teeth, you know, that sort of thing. Close your mouth. Teeth gross me out, you know, and everything. So, when my kids fall, like, it's everything in me is just like, I, I, I don't want them to hurt. I, I know what it's like to break bones. I, I don't want them to have to go through that. But when they fall, and I've told them not to be climbing on something, they can fall and I hear it. Instead of me rushing to it, I yell from the other room, were you climbing on your bed? Yes. And I'm like, well, hopefully you'll learn your lesson. They could be bleeding out on the floor in there, and I'm like, well, I told them. I mean, that's, that's on them. See, when they know that it's not something that they should be doing and it happens to them, I hold it against them. They're guilty now. They knew better. Paul says, whether you know or not, that's not the question. That's not the issue. It's still that you fell and you got hurt. Whether you know what you're doing is a sin, if you are choosing that is so something that is not God, you're choosing to live apart from God. You're choosing death. And whether you know that's right or not, you're going to have to deal with the consequences, Paul says. And that's just the way the world works. We sit there and we say, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair when little kids get hurt because they're not at a place yet that they can know that that's a thing that's going to hurt you. It's not fair when people run into situations that they didn't mean to. 
unknowingly, unwillingly, because they didn't know. But that is how our world works. Why? Because Adam sinned and death entered the world. And now there are things that are dangerous that will kill us. Whether we mean them to, know they will, want them to, doesn't matter. It will happen. You can't run from death because that's the way the world works. Just a quick aside, Paul lays this, you know, knowing he's kind of said this and he's kind of taking a pretty hard line stance. Later in verse 20, Paul explains to us why then the law was given. He says the law was given so that sin may increase, the trespass would increase. And so sin abounded. And you read that and you're like, man, that sounds really weird. It sounds really weird that God would give a law so that sin would increase. And what Paul means when you, when you understand the entire context and the way he uses the Greek is that the law was given so it would shed a light on sin and show it completely for what it is and how far we actually are from God and how much we need God. God has given the law. He wants us to turn from the things that are killing us and back to him so badly that he has given us something so that we can see how far from him we truly are and how much we need him and so that we can choose the right thing. It's been graciously given. And we say, okay, so we get it, okay. It isn't fair, but the way the world works is that, you know, if you don't know, you still have to deal with the consequences of things, but it doesn't seem fair that we all then get punished for one guy's mess, does it? doesn't seem fair that Adam screwed it up. And yeah, you can say if we had all been there, we would have done the same thing, but I'd like to differ, you know? I didn't get the shot. It's not, I mean, how, how, how terrible is it when you think, I, I think I could have pulled that off and people are like, no, 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 we're not even going to let you try, right? Like that is the most frustrating thing ever. And so it just doesn't seem fair to us that one guy could screw it all up. And what's more is Paul just like says it and drops it out there. And he's like, there you go. That's the way it is. I mean, Paul here feels pretty tone deaf to like just even caring how we feel and how we take things and, and what this seems like. But the reason he says it, and he just kind of lays it out there, and he's like, yeah, we all get this. We know how this goes. is because the Jewish people had such a different idea of the community and what it meant to be a part of a community and how intricately our lives are all tied together in a way that us as Westerners and Americans who want to believe that we are individuals and the only thing that matters is the choices that we make for ourselves is what actually affects us. The reason Paul is able to say this and he just puts it out there like this is common knowledge, we all know this, is because this had been built into the understanding of the Israelites that you are a part of a group of people and what they do affects you as much as what you do affects them. Back in Joshua, as the, uh, as the Israelites are getting ready to take over Jericho, uh, the Israelites are told that when, uh, when Jericho's walls fall and uh, they sack the city, uh, that they are not to keep any of the gold. They're, they're, they're to keep nothing for themselves. And it was a way of showing that they really did nothing. God did everything. And so they go in and they do this, and there's a guy named Achan. And Achan decides he's going to keep some stuff for himself, and so he hides it. The next battle comes, they go, the Israelites go out and they get massacred. 
And so they're asking themselves, what in the world's going on? Like, what have we done wrong and everything like that? And God says to them, it says, Israel has sinned. He doesn't say Achan has sinned. He says, Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel, not Achan, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. We want to think that the reality of the world that we live in is it only matters what I do. And I'm not connected to anybody else. But because of our culture and how much individualism is just in our DNA, we are blind to the reality of the world we actually live in. And that is we are connected to other people and their sin affects us. We know this to be true as much as we try to deny it. We've seen how one person's bad actions affect so many people. You only have to mention names like Adolf Hitler or Paul Pot in Cambodia. Hitler killed over 6 million Jews, not, not counting other people. In the Holocaust alone, Hitler had 6 million Jewish people killed. Paul Pot had over 2 million in Cambodia in the 1970s. You want to talk about the impact, not just those millions of people, but you extrapolate that out over decades and time and the families that have been affected by that and change, one person can have a huge effect on so many people. And we sit here and we say, well, yeah, I mean, they can do that, but like, I don't see how like, maybe like what, say, Adolf Hitler did affects me. And maybe it doesn't feel like it affected you directly, but it'd be pretty easy to show you how it was. For instance, in 1944, legislation was passed known as the GI Bill to help veterans come back and be able to establish lives to get homes, low-paying mortgages, as well as education. And most historians agree that the GI Bill changed the landscape of what it means to live in America. That this country and the suburbs that we have, the places that we live, how we conduct our lives would not be the same if it was not for that bill that was predicated on the fact that we had to go to war because of what a guy, Adolf Hitler, chose to do. And so you might say, it doesn't seem fair that one person can affect my life in this way that Paul is saying. And Paul says, I'm sorry, that's the world we live in. Maybe it isn't fair, but it's the way the world works. Adam sinned. Sin brings death. We can't run from it. So what is this death then? Well, it's physical death, definitely, right? But it's also spiritual death. It's death actually in every way. And it's not just death after you die. It's death now too. It's death of things that are not supposed to be dead. It's things taken from you that were meant for good. 
Carl Barth, in trying to explain what exactly Paul means here, says that sin and the death it brings is robbery. In the sense that it is the falling of humanity out of direct relationship with God. The rending asunder of the spiritual band which unites God with the world and with humanity. The creator with his creation. This death that sin brings is a lie that blocks the reality of the world we live in. The world that we were meant for. The way our world was meant to work. That we were meant to live with God, for God. It's a violation of all the good things. It's exactly why Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6 has to go through the relationships within the family and tell them exactly how to work. It's why he has to tell husbands, love your wives. How ridiculous is that? That Paul has to take time to tell husbands to love their wives. He has to go through and tell wives how to relate to their husbands and children, how to relate to their parents and parents, how to relate to their children. These are the most basic relationships that you and I have been built for, to share, to grow, to nurture, to enjoy. And death that has been brought about by sin destroys these things. It robs the good things that God has intended for us and actually makes them the things that hurt us the most. You ask any counselor, you look at any study, where does the high majority of personal life trauma come from in people's lives? It's from those families, parents, spouses, siblings, children. Our family that was meant to be the very place that we reflected God's nature, who he is, his self-giving love, and that we grew that, we understood that, and so that we could relate to him in the same way, has become the very place because of sin and death that we are hurt deepest in our core. It takes the good things from us and it robs us of those. Me personally, I know for a fact, I I grew up thinking that I had to earn God's love. That actually I had to earn any love whatsoever in my life. And so I can look back at my life and I can see habits and thought processes and just everything about me. and, And through that lens of this was a truth of my life that I was not worthy of unconditional love from anybody. And I had to prove that I was good enough for people. I can even see how it robbed me of the fact that work was something that I could enjoy. School for me became a way to propel myself, to show that I was valuable, to, to, to put myself on that ladder of, of a pecking order of, of how worthy I was of other people. And so instead of school ended up being this thing that could enrich me and further my life and be this enjoyable thing, it was work and it was toil and it was a hoop to jump through and just something that I needed to do to prove something that all along I didn't need to prove and that I was worthy of other people and their love and a relationship with them. And it robbed me of that. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter if what God calls sin you think is sin. You're still having to deal with the effects of death in your life. Death of the way things are supposed to be. Death of what Ed talked about last week. Hope, peace, and grace. Death of relationships built on trust and understanding. 
And I guarantee you there is not a single person sitting here today that has not dealt with these and is not dealing with death in their life. Because it's the way our world works and we can't run from it. Man, that's depressing, right? The good news is there's a, there's a pivot, there's a hinge. And it comes there at the end of verse 14, where Paul explains who Adam is. He says, Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. This word type in the Greek, uh, it means uh, like as close as you can get to an exact replica. It was actually a word that was often used uh, in uh, Greek literature to refer um, to uh, the relationship of uh, children to their parents. That, you know, they look so much like you. They act so much like you. Favorite thing in the world is to point out to my wife when our kids are acting like her. They are a type of her. But, man, they're not even close to the real thing. She has way more sass than they even do. And so... The idea, though, is that it's something that is capable of exact repetition. And so uh, it's easy for us to see Adam comes first, and, and Paul says, no, 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 Adam was a type. He was the child. The parent was coming. That Adam wasn't the only one with this kind of effect on people. And what's more, because Adam's a type of what's to come, the effect is going to have far greater impact than anything Adam was able to do. He explains this in verses 15 through 19. Let's look at those again together just to refresh our memory. He says, but, so, because Adam was a type of the one who was to come, know this, the free gift is not like the trespass. He says that Adam and Christ have the same impact. They impact a lot of people. But what they do is very different. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Paul says that Adam and Christ are alike and that what they've done impacts a lot of people. But they're different because the grace in life that God brings through Jesus Christ is so much more powerful than the death that Adam has brought through his disobedience. And this is where we say, well, that's unbelievable. That seems hard to believe that life is more powerful than death. What's more powerful than death in our world? I mean, death's kind of finite, right? I mean, death is the end of everything. Like, what more is there beyond death? That seems to be the ultimate power, and it's the thing we are most afraid of in our life. It definitely has power to bring things to a sudden and swift end, Paul says, but that's as far as its power goes. 
Think about this. The most death can do to you is kill you. And then once it kills you, that's all it can do to you. It exhausts its power at that point. There's nothing else death can do to you once you're dead. He says, life on the other hand, life keeps going. Life gets difficult. Life needs to be sustained. Life takes so much more energy and power and intention. Um, in the uh, Broadway musical Hamilton, uh, there is this part where uh, Alexander Hamilton is begging George Washington to let him go out and fight. And he says, I want to make a name for myself. I, I, I'm willing to die. And Washington is uh, trying to uh, convince Hamilton that he's much more needed where he's at, writing for him, being his secretary, and things that will come after. And George Washington says, young man, dying is easy. Living is harder. It is amazing in the world that we live in that there is anything alive. Death is always right there, it seems like, with anything good, trying to snuff it out. And so the fact that life is even a possibility shows how much more powerful life and the power to bring life and sustain life and create life actually is. Because if death exhausts itself once we're dead, what that means is the power and the life that God has brought about through Jesus Christ is never exhausted. That's exactly why Paul says, so if people died under sin, how much more will they live under grace? The power to bring about life is so great that once you start with it, it will overwhelm everything in your life that has brought death, and it will even take the very things that have brought death to you, and it will turn them into life-giving, God-glorifying ends. We say, wow, that's crazy. That's unbelievable. What's more is that's unbelievable that one man could bring all that. That doesn't seem, man, I mean, I, I would like to. I would like to believe. But one man, I'm not really sure that's the way our world works. And it seems kind of naive that Paul would be like, yeah, one guy can do all of this stuff. Makes sense to us. One guy can bring death. Yeah, one person can screw up a lot of things. Imagine what a lot of people can do, right? But one guy bringing all this life? How in the world is that even possible? That's definitely not the way our world works. And yet again, Paul thinks nothing of it here, right? Because again, maybe the Jewish people had a better understanding of how things in our world actually work. See, every Passover, the Jewish people were instructed to select one lamb, one spotless lamb, and they were to take it up to the temple, and the high priest of the temple would sacrifice this lamb, being spotless, it was pure, the purity of this lamb, symbolizing the, no sin, no death, anywhere to be found in this thing, shouldn't die, and yet did. 
And the high priest would take it into the Holy of Holies on behalf of all of the people of Israel. The entire nation would ask for forgiveness from God and consider the nation cleansed. See, their understanding was is that there is power in one person, one thing, the right person at the right time in the right place can have that kind of impact on people. And what's more, more is we know that this is true. We know that this is true in our world. Abraham Lincoln signed an Emancipation Proclamation that essentially changed drastically the nature of so many people's lives that had been held in bondage. We know the power that one right person at the right time in the right place can make. They can do impactful things. And so while it might be unbelievable that one person can do all of this, it's the way our world works. And Paul says, we should be glad. We should be so thankful that our world is not fair. And we should be so thankful that this doesn't make any sense to us. Because we would have all screwed it up. Because if left to ourselves, as Paul's been making this case this entire time throughout Romans, we're going to choose other things. We're going to walk away. You might think it's better for me to just kind of have control of my own destiny and my own fate and my own life and not be lumped in with all these other people, not be lumped in with Adam or anybody else. But he says it's so much better that you are. Because what that means is you only then have to choose Jesus. The way our world works is that you can deal with the death that none of us can run from by choosing to be accepted into the death of Jesus Christ and dying with him and being raised to new life again. The death of all the things that you're experiencing, the brokenness in your life and all that, that is put right because of the power that the grace of God brings through one person, Jesus Christ. Everyone has sinned. But because one person can make such a difference, and we know this to be true in our world, imagine the difference a person can make if that person is God. Imagine the difference that person can make in your life. Paul wraps all of this up by saying, So as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, because that's the way our world works. There is beauty in just needing one person for real eternal life. There is beauty in things not being fair because it's not fair that that is all we should need to make up for all that we've done. It's not fair that we can live our life hurting God and hurting others over and over again and we can come back to the one who is pure, who did not sin but died for us and say, I am sorry and be forgiven. And it is unbelievable that God loves us that much. And yet that's 
how it is. And it doesn't matter what you believe about what's sin and what's not sin. When you see death in your life, you know that the one thing you need is Jesus. And so if you're dealing with brokenness in your life, if you've been robbed of the things that God has created you for, the answer isn't put it all back together. The answer is look to him. If you're suffering from death, the death of relationships, the death of hopes, actual death, look to him. If you're like me and you have been hurt by the church and you're like, I don't know if this is real and all of these people seem fake and they don't actually live out what they say they believe in and all that kind of stuff, don't look at them, look at him. If you don't believe any of this is real, that's okay. It's still the way the world works. It's a hard lesson to learn. Just like any the way the world works lesson that we have in our life. And if you're skeptical and you're not sure, stop trying to prove it in all these different ways and just look to him and allow him to show you that all you need is one thing. Paul says, I think it's like 11 times in this passage, one. The word one. All you need is one. You need Jesus, and you need that one moment with him. This is that time. I don't, we are all dealing with the effects of sin in life. We are all dealing with death, and we are trying to run from it in different ways, and the only place that there is an answer to it is in Jesus. And so if, you're, if you've never put your faith in him, it's the time to do that. If you've lost faith in an area of your life with him, it's time to put your faith back in him. If God is trying to wrestle from you, just give it up to him. Because the death it's going to bring is not anything close to the life he wants to bring about in your life. We're going to close this morning together with a time of communion. As we do that, it is that moment, that one time that we can come together, we can know that he has done this for us, and we can put our faith again. If you're dealing with something this morning, if you're wanting to make that commitment to Christ for the first time, we have space up here that you can stay up here, you can pray. If you want to pray with the pastor, we'll be around. We can pray in the back, but this is that time to deal with death. Stop running from it. You can't, and run to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your words, while they may be difficult to comprehend, they may seem too good to be true, Lord, they are always exactly just what we need. Because uh, they are your heart, they show us your heart, and as Paul is saying right here, you are exactly what we need. Father, as we prepare ourselves for communion, of worshiping together, of reflecting on what you have done and who you are, 
just in this moment, would you prepare our hearts? Would you open us up to your Holy Spirit? Father, we thank you for your grace, your love, your mercy. And none of it seems believable when we're honest. And yet we're told time and time again that you are who you say you are. And so we give you all the praise and we ask for your will to be done in our life. That we may be risen to new life in you. And we may live that life well beyond the death that was intended for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.